Welcome to another episode of the Victory Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Victory Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry and the impact it has had in our community for over 50 years, visit VictoryBaptistValdosta.com. Now let's listen to today's message from God's Word. And rather than reread the text as we did twice already this morning, we will just pick up where we left off and hopefully the good Lord will guide us and give us the ability to follow his guidance as he takes us through the rest of the things that came to our heart as we began to meditate upon the story that is before us. Mark chapter 3 is our text, verses 1 through 6. So since we're going to start a little differently than we normally do, let us look together uh, before the throne of grace and ask God's continued presence with us and his blessings upon us. Father, have we thank you for the privilege we have this morning or this evening to be in your house. We thank you for every person who is present. We ask for your abundant blessings to rest upon them. Any who might be listening uh, by the way of internet, I pray, Lord, that you might touch them and minister to their hearts as well. But we sure stand in need of your divine grace and help And we ask you, Lord, in your mercy and grace that you might extend that unto us and bring to our remembrance our studies and meditations upon this passage of Scripture. I ask my prayer, I offer my thanksgiving in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen and amen. Now, we were speaking right when our time had elapsed this morning of why this man's hand had become withered. And we do not know, but the meaning of the word would give us reason to uh, accept the view of the expositors here. For this meaning of the word withered, as we stated, means to become withered or to become dry. Now, before something can become withered, it's had to have life in it. And before something can become dry, it's had to have moisture in it. I'm just giving you the meaning of the word. Now, tradition has it, and we hear a lot of tradition preached for Scripture when it is not. But tradition has it, and I read behind this expositor who said that it's in the Apocrypha that this man here that is in our story was a brick mason. We don't know exactly what this man may have done in life for his hand became withered. But if he was a brick mason, if he was some other type, of a labor, had another occupation. We can see the hardship that this withered hand would have brought upon this family because in those days, they had to rely upon the goodness of neighbors. 
They had to rely upon the charity of others. They did not have SSI. They did not have all the means that we're blessed to have in our nation. They didn't have that. There was no unemployment one could draw from. So he was really, in a sense, crippled as far as being able to provide <coughs> for his family as they would stand in need. And may I say this as we were relating the events of our story here to our church life, our life of service for Jesus Christ. Withered hands cause hardships on God's family and on his work. And that's why we need, if our hands are withered, if there's a part of us that is not in service as it one time was, that we need to get back where we're giving it all to the cause of Jesus Christ and his, sir, and his uh, cause. Now, we only know this for sure about his hand, and we learn that by studying Luke's record of this event. And Luke tells us that it was his right hand. But we do know this about this man. He was in the right place to get help. And may I say the church is the right place for you and I who are born again to get help. It's the right place for sinners to come and hear the gospel and get saved. The greatest help anyone could ever get is his soul kept from the flames of hell. And then it's a good place for those who have strayed away who have grown cold and indifferent uh, in their love and life for the Lord to be drawn back into the fellowship that they should be enjoying in God and with the family of God. I want to say thank God for the help that I have received at the house of God. I want to say thank God for that someone who stood up and gave a testimony on an occasion. Hey, listen, the church life, and that's why I love to be here, and I love preaching, I love to try it, I love to hear others who are preaching, but preaching is not the only thing that brings blessings to the saints of God. More than one time, some saint has stood and given a testimony of an experience that they've had with God that has encouraged my heart and help me see that if God would do that for them, he would do the same for me. Because God is no respecter of persons. We all are aware of that, of course. And then sometimes I've been in services when a person has taught a Bible lesson in Sunday school, or they have brought a devotion that has worked wonders in my heart as God met needs or maybe a questions that I've had in my mind. Maybe I'm uh, lack a little line here and there, getting something put together about a passage of scripture. And that person who's given that devotion or that Sunday school lesson has given the connecting link that I could put it together. I could stand and talk a long time tonight about what it means to this man to be in the assembly 
of the, of the saints of God to have them sing and bless my heart, to hear them give a devotion or bring a Bible lesson. How many times have you been down and we are reminded by the words of a song what God means to our heart and to our life? It is most difficult for me to understand and I can't understand it why anyone who is saved would not want to be in the assembly of the saints because God has offered and offers so much unto us as we gather together in his house. Oh my, preach the message that God used to refresh my spirit. Have you ever been low in spirits and you've needed a lifting? Well, has not the man of God on more than one occasion given out that message? He doesn't necessarily have to be preaching. Sometimes just the opening comments of a service or the closing comments of a service supplies what we need to lift up our spirit, to restore our soul, to cause us to resolve to be steadfast in our labor in the Lord. And sometimes it, it gets very tedious and sometimes it's very taxing upon our lives to stay faithful in some areas. But as a young lady was singing earlier about whether God gives me my request or whether he does not, I will trust his way to be best. And I whispered, whispered to my wife, as she sang that, that is a hard part. But I'm telling you right now, it will bring liberty uh, to your soul as we trust the God of all knowledge and wisdom to lead us and guide us and always do that which is best and right for our lives to become steadfast. And how many times have we been made to rejoice in our salvation? If we're not careful, we'll just aimlessly float through life. We're saved. We're going to heaven when we die. We are aware of that. But salvation is more than going to heaven when you die. Salvation is a life that God has filled full of his goodness and grace in this present time that we might enjoy the things God has given unto us and made available for us as he saved us to rest in Christ's care. And sometimes if you ever come to the place that you, you couldn't sleep, you couldn't rest because of a burden that's upon your heart or a concern for someone and all, and all of a sudden it dawns on you this wonderful truth. I'm going to rest this with Jesus Christ. I remember on an occasion visiting a member of our church in the Harriman Hospital many years ago. And this woman, as I was talking with her and about to leave, she said, Preacher, I want you to pray for my son that somehow God will get him back into his favor again. And so I said, Well, and of course, I knew something about this boy's life. Uh, he had some rebellion in him and had manifested that 
on more than one occasion. And I said, well, I'll be glad to pray with you about that. But here is what I want to ask you. Are you willing to accept whatever God needs to do in order to get that son back into fellowship with God? She said, preacher, I've worried over this. I have prayed, I have prayed, I have sought God, and I'm sure the woman was right in what she was telling me. And so I said to her, all right, we're going to pray. And so we, I got down beside her bed. She lay on her bed, and we prayed, and we asked God to have his way in this situation. Unbeknown unto us at the time we were praying, or at about the time, we were praying. He had had some friends, and he had went to Jacksonville Beach, Florida with. And I don't know what happened. I don't even know why they went or anything about it. I can always guess, but that's all it would be. But they, for some reason or other, left him on that beach, ran off and left him. And here he is, all alone, hundreds of miles from home. And all of a sudden, he happened to think about a distant family that he had somewhere living in the Jacksonville area. And somehow he got to this distant kinship's home and he introduced himself. They renewed old acquaintance and they took him in. They took care of him. And to make a long story shorter, uh, soon he was back at home and in church. Now, we don't always know, but here is the thing. When you deliver something unto the Lord and mean that and rest it in his care, he knows much better how to run our life than we do. And so when you, we're for real, leave it in his hand, rest in his care, and he will take care of us. Now, that's two of the five. So let's look at the third one, okay? The third point of interest that comes to us from uh, this passage, first of all, was the coming of Christ into the synagogue. And secondly, was the consideration of the cripple. Now look at the compelling of compassion toward the needy in verse 3. And also in the latter portion of verse 5. And he saith unto the man, which had the withered hand, stand forth. And the latter portion of verse 5, he saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. May I say, compassion will move a person to do something. When we read in the scriptures about he was moved with compassion. Compassion moves us unto others. And as Christ had compassion here toward this poor helpless man who undoubtedly had no means whatsoever of helping himself. Now this reminds us of why Christ came into the world. And in fact, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, he states why he came into the world. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister 
and to give his life a ransom for many. And so what we find here, I think, is the key verse to the gospel of Mark 10.45. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Now, why do we come to church? Do we come to get a blessing, or do we come to try to be a blessing? I've learned this. If we will try to be a blessing, we will receive a blessing. But if we come just for the purpose sometimes of receiving a blessing, we go away empty. And so God, may God help all of us see that we ought to want to be a blessing to someone in some way uh, that God may be glorified. Now, Luke tells us this as he gives this same story. He said that Jesus said to this man, rise up and stand forth in the midst. Now, Christ wanted everyone there to see who he was and what he was able to do. So, in other words, he did not go over to this man in a private setting and whisper to him to reach forth his hand. No, he brought him out publicly. He wanted everyone to see because you remember he has already said here in verse 4, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Now, which one is best? Christ is asking these Pharisees who are giving him a problem at this time, trying to find fault with him. Christ wanted everyone to know the truth about him. And that's what your pastor does and what I hope I'm doing. And what you teachers try to do is to teach people who Jesus really is and what he's all about and why he came into this world. Now Christ said, rise up. And he said, stand forth according to what Luke records of the event. This, this man could do. Remember I said this morning, he came to church he had a withered hand, but his legs and feet brought him to church. His withered hand did not prevent him from coming to the house of God. Now, rise up, stand forth. This the man could do. He needed no help whatsoever to do either one of these. But then Jesus said this, stretch forth thine hand. Now, this he could not do. And if he is going to be able to stretch forth his hand, he is going to have to have some divine help. Okay? Now, here's what I thought about, Pastor. Now, this is my thinking, okay? Many times we're expecting God to do what we can't do when we won't do what we can do. And I think that's what I get out of this passage here, okay? And God is, I, I've talked to people before about problems in their life and they don't want to do what they know they should be doing, well, well, you ought to be sitting under a Bible teacher, amen, not going from here to yon and reading every book you can find on the matter by different authors. Get under a Bible preaching pastor and listen to him. Sit at his feet. Hear what he has to say unto you. Well, here's what they say, Pastor, many times. Well, I know I should. Well, knowing you should is not going to solve the problem. We're going to have to act on it. 
The man rose up. The man came out in the midst. He stood forth. Now Christ said, reach forth your hand, and he can't. But notice this. The man did not say, Lord, my hand is withered. I can't reach it for it. He didn't say that. You know what he did? If it was withered, how is he going to stretch it forth? You know how he did it? By faith. Christ said, reach forth your hand. The only way he could reach forth his hand, he would have to have faith that he could. And I'm going to tell you something right now. God honors faith. He'll honor faith in these, can I call you children? You don't like that now, but one day it'll be nice when you're called children, okay? And so they can have faith. Little lady here, you can have faith. God will honor your faith as much as he honors my faith. In fact, I've heard some children pray. That impressed me to hear them pray as they prayed out of their heart. And that's what God hears and that's what God honors. So when this man had faith, we, we know this for sure, that without faith it's impossible to please God. That's what he's looking for. So when faith believes it, when Christ said, reach forth your hand, this man had faith. He believed Christ and he reached forth his hand. It believes it. Faith receives it. Faith embraces it. And when all this happened, obedience acts upon faith. Okay? Now Christ did not come to destroy lives. We know that. But he came to save them. Here's what Christ is saying in verse 4. Shall I do that man good or shall I leave him helpless? Which one of these should I do? And what Christ is doing is exposing the absurdity of Pharisaical uh, tradition. Here they are with all of their tradition. Christ is showing the absurdity of it all. Now we come to the fourth of the five. The company of <laughs> This, uh, <clears throat> I wish I could leave this out, but it's in the text, so I've, I've got to deal with it, okay? The company of criticizers who came to church. Now, okay, here we are in verse 2. We read, and they watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. Okay, look at verse 6. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. So they came to church, but they didn't come for the right reason. And every, every one of us present here tonight are present for a reason. There's some reason we are here. Now here come some people into the synagogues who were not there for the right reason. Now let me give you four things quickly. I'm going to get through these quick as I can. Number one is commendation. It's a good thing to do. It's a good thing. I remember at Paris Island, one of our drill instructors said something about church and our going to church. We didn't have to go. 
and four people found out it was a whole lot better to go than not to go. But anyhow, I wasn't one of the four, thank God. I went to church. But anyhow, our drill instructor said this. He said, you fellas, only he didn't call us fellas. He said, you ought to go to church. He said, it will do some of you good. And you know the thing that went through my mind? What about you, buddy? You're the one who needs some good done to with your blasphemous tongue and all the things that you say that's off color and, and unnecessary. You're the one, but I knew better than that. And uh, I used to uh, kid my children. Our drill instructor had a saying, if we didn't do a certain thing, if we fail, boy, you're going to get the green weenie. And my children asked me one time, said, Daddy, what was the green weenie? I said, I don't know. I never did find that. <laughs> I knew better to behave myself that it did not happen to me. Whatever it was, I didn't want it. Amen. And number two is curiosity. Now, a lot of people come to church out of commendation. It is good. It is right. Okay? But some come out of curiosity. They come to investigate. They come to pry. Now let me say this, and I'm going to get off of this as quick as I can. But some people come looking for fault. Can I say this? This is a great church. I've been acquainted with your pastors, I said, 40 years probably and better. Okay? And I've been in this church many times. As far as I know, I preached in all the camp meetings, did I not? So I've been in this church a lot of times. I've seen a lot of good things, a lot of good people have come, and some have gone on to heaven. We've had some of the greatest meetings in this church. It's just been wonderful. So I know this church it is good. But let me say this. If a person comes to this church or any church looking for a fault, he's going to find it. You know why? Because the church is made up of people. And people have faults. And we're going to find them. And so what we need to do is come looking for the Lord's presence to be with us and to bless us and help all of those who who are ministering to our hearts through song or through lesson or through preaching. And then some come for criticism. They, they're looking for something to criticize. Now, you see, these people here, these, these Pharisees that are here, they did not come to be a blessing. They did not care about the needs of any. All they came for was for some reason they could pick and pry until they had found something to justify their corrupt view of God's holy law. And it was corrupt the way that they looked at it. They didn't care about the person who stood in need. The last thing that these Pharisees had come to the synagogue was to worship. Why did you come? We're all here, as I said earlier, for one reason or another. I came to worship. Did you worship him in singing? Did you worship him 
as the pastor was giving all the upcoming events that this church is going to be involved in, did you worship them? Because these events glorify and magnify Christ. And so we're happy and pleased and thrilled with what God is doing. And then, number four, is concern. They came because they desired to come and they designed to be in the house of God. See, the Pharisees wanted everyone to know their stern standing on the law. And I was reading some time back about what the Pharisees thought about the law. And let me tell you how far they had taken it. And I'm sure this is not all because I read enough to get some, uh, what should I say, perimeter information about the way they looked at the law. Now, if a Jew cut his finger on the Sabbath, he could put a bandage on it, but he couldn't put any ointment. He could stop the bleeding, but he could not do anything to cure the cut. Now, that's where they had taken the law. And, that's, and they, they were incorporating ideas such as this into the law, which God never intended for it to be. Now, uh, if a person became sick, measures could be taken to prevent the person from getting worse in that sickness, but he could not do anything to cure him of that sickness on the Sabbath day. Now, that's sad. That's tragic that it had come so far. But these fellows had their own ideas, and they felt that they were better off than everybody else. A Jew could, oh, listen to this. This really got me. You remember when, I don't know when Titus, I know it was 70 AD, I don't know the day that he overran the city of Jerusalem and, and thousands and thousands and thousands of, of Jews died. But the Pharisees had brought the law to this place that a Jew could not defend himself on the Sabbath day because that was working. And if an enemy had come in and was trying to kill him, that Jew could not defend himself against that enemy. So therefore, thousands and thousands of Jews died. All the enemy had to do was figure that out, learn that, and attacked on the Sabbath day. And he could have his way in with these people. These Pharisees cared more for their strict observance than for the needs of those who could not help themselves. And I don't want to hang here, but I could use 15 more minutes easily and tell you of experiences I know that happened, how poor people sat in that congregation in need, but the pastor or the preacher at the time, evangelist, whatever he was, was more interested in letting everybody know how tough he was or how stout he was in what he believed and let that poor person sit there. As he described someone who had done certain things that this person had no idea, he had come to get something from God. 
And I'm telling you, when we lose our main focus of others, the fellow who started Salvation Army, William Booth, Salvation Army then was a whole lot different than it is now. And I'm not speaking against it. I'm just telling you it's a whole lot different. Their main thrust was to get the gospel out and to pour sin-ridden sinners to get them to Christ. That's what their main thrust was. And William Booth was invited to speak at a certain meeting. And prior to his time to leave, he became sick and was unable to attend that meeting. And he sent a telegram to the moderator of that meeting. And that telegram had one word on it. You know what that word was? Others. That's what he lived for. Others. God help me to live for others. To care about those who are in need. Especially in need of the gospel, in need of being saved and coming to know Christ. I've, I've tried to live for God and honor him with my life. My son is here. He'll tell you that. I'm not ashamed to say that in front of him because he knows my life. But God help me never to get to the place that I think my stand is more important than somebody who needs Christ, either to be saved or to be brought back into fellowship with him. We can build our churches. We can establish our standards. We can make our plans. We can implement our programs and yet never show concern for those who are in need of a Savior. Adam Clark wrote these words, Many will do more for a beast than for one whom Christ died for. Now, you have a pet. I'm not going to quarrel at you because the Bible says a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. Okay? So if you got a beast, don't beat it. Take care of it. Amen. But I would hate to think I was more interested in a cat or a dog or a horse than I was a poor lost soul that's going to spend eternity in hell. You see, if a, they would loose their ox, the words of Jesus, and lead it to water on the Sabbath day because they knew that animal had to drink. If a sheep or a cow fell into a ditch, they would lift that animal out of that ditch. Christ, Christ brought the, that to their attention in other passages in the Scripture. And what I'm saying is they cared more about their beast than they did this poor man without the help of Jesus Christ would remain that way all the days of his life. Lord, help me. I want to be faithful to him, okay? If the animal got injured, they would doctor it. But they couldn't. That's pitiful, isn't it? Isn't that a warped 
concept of the goodness of God in the land of the living? Absolutely it is. Now, they had come to church, but their purpose was to find fault with someone, especially if they did not see the law as they had observed it. Much of their law was only tradition. It wasn't what thus saith the word of the Lord. They were quick to judge the motives of Christ, but very reluctant to judge their own. Let each of us judge our motive rather than judge the motive of someone else. Christ never came to hurt people. He came to help them. Lord, help me be a help to people. Amen. Now, number five. Here's the consequence of contempt. We read it in verse five. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Why? How could Christ look on them in anger? Because his anger was pure. And since the reason sin was a reason for his anger, I, I wish I had the, a Bible that I carried for years. I cut out a little saying. Brother Ward, you might know who authored this. It was either by Graham Scroggie or Griffith Thomas, and I can't remember which one it was. But I remember, I can't even remember all of the quote, but I can remember the last part of it. And the last part of it was this. And he thought that is not angry at sin is himself sinning. One of those men wrote those words. And you think about that a little while. Oh, we don't get angry at the sinner. But we get angry at the sin. If we can sit back and watch sin rampant and it not bother us, something's wrong somewhere in our life. Now, most of our anger, where does most of our anger come from? Not because of sin, but because someone has injured us. Isn't that the truth? Have you ever heard a person who professes to know Christ to say, I hate them? We should hate nothing but sin. We should never hate a person. You hear all kinds of things made, all kinds of excuses and everything else. There is none or are none. When we stand before the Lord, we'll find out how flimsy sometimes our excuses were for having the feelings we had about someone else. There was a man once in our church I never saw anybody that this man had anything good to say about. You could bring up somebody 
that as far as you were concerned and many others who knew this individual had stated something similar, very similar to you as well. That this man's character was above reproach. And you could bring his name up and I promise you he'd find something wrong or faulty to say about this man. And one night, I just, I never did ever take a text just to preach against anybody. I tried to keep it as general as I properly could, as I possibly could, but evidently my flesh got involved or something. And I made this statement. It bothers me that some people can find fault with everybody. It looks to me like if I found fault with Brother Greg and Brother Brandon and this brother and these brethren and you, if I found fault with you, I found fault with this sister, this little lady, you sisters, I found fault with you. It looks to me like it would dawn on me. If there's faults with them, there must be faults with me. But evidently this poor man never could see it. Lord, help us. They had opportunities to see the Messiah at work but rejected it several times. Listen to this, I'm done. At the closing, right at the closing of Christ's ministry and soon he is to be crucified. He looked out over the city of Jerusalem and he wept. And he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sinned unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings and ye would not. He wept because they would not come to him. But that's not all he wept. The following verse says this, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Because Jesus knew what was going to happen to the nation of Judah because they had rejected their Messiah. Lord, help us, I pray, that we will love you and we will love others. And it will come, Lord, to mind of how much you loved us and how much you cared for us enough to die for us. Surely, Lord, we can bend and surely we can sacrifice for the cause of helping others.